Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to episode number 30 of Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. Today is Sunday, February 21st, 2016. And today's guest is Joris Verdan, organist, musicologist and composer from Belgium. He teaches organ at the Royal Conservatory of Antwerp and is professor of organology at the University of Leuven, Belgium. He has recorded over 40 CDs as a soloist, spanning many musical eras and styles. His main areas of interest our 19th century French organ and harmonium school. In this conversation, Professor Verdun shares his revolutionary insights about performance practice issues in the organ works of César Franck. Let's go to the show. So, Joris, I'm so delighted that you're joining this conversation. You're so generous with your work uh, in organ world and, uh, and with your talent and your insights. Thank you so much for doing this and welcome to the show. Well, I thank you and you are uh, way too kind to me. <laughs> it's just a pleasure to talk about uh, things we both love and like to talk about. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, uh, something that is very, very special to me and to you also, Cesar Frank and his performance practice. Uh, because, uh, Joris, you have some really revolutionary ideas in your head. At least uh, you had, uh, when I me first met you in 2000 in Sweden, in Gothenburg, remember you played this uh, double recital in, uh, in the Artisten, in, in the concert hall there. Uh, uh, I mean, I think uh, it was uh, this uh, instrument inspired by Kavayakol, and you mm -hmm. played many French works, uh, and Vidor and, and Frank, um, for that matter, but we were uh, the audience were spellbound uh, basically f uh, about your your tempi, right? Your performance, other issues. Uh, so, but at that time it was, I think, uh, very very new idea. Uh, but we will talk about that. Is it new today? Is it mainstream? What do you think? Well. I must say, um, when you say revolutionary and it was new, I think maybe um, as to the situation, it, it was maybe not what we were used to. But so that's my point. Um, my, I'm convinced that what I'm doing, which is based upon uh, historical sources, I mean, really sources from the time Franck was living, so then I, it's difficult to say it's a revolution because I'm trying to come again to what could have been a kind of performance at those days. So, um, and it's, it's actually true what you say that I really upset many people with those ideas. But, um, and it's more, now, like you say, it's some time I'm, I'm doing this. Well, I mean, not upsetting people, but I mean, working on Franck and Tempi. And um, I'm really more and more convinced about uh, the fact that the, the way of playing or performing Franck's music 
has changed throughout the 20th century so much that the image that we have today is probably not at all the way it was done exactly. now 150 years ago almost. So, um, we, and I must say, I, I did some extra research on it um, and I can, as far as I know, I don't find any source that contradicts this uh, idea that César Franck was not this special composer um, which you don't play if you are not over 40 and things like that, you know. Mm. Um, this idea of the Pater Seraphicus, of course, he, he must have been a very kind and gentle person. That's absolutely true. But um, it was already Alfred Cortot in the 1920s who, who said probably the uh, image of César Franck we are cultivating now is not at all the way he was and the way he played and so on and so forth. So uh, for myself, I have enough arguments to do what I like to do. And um, the music by Franck is just excellent music. And it doesn't depend so much on the tempo if the performance is okay. But um, the thing is, when, when I was studying... Um, at conservatory, it, this holy Franck tradition was very, very strong. And as of course, we are very close to Paris. Yeah, so uh, we were very much under this influence. And I remember very well when I was told, "Yeah, but Franck is a special composer. You have to play it slowly. Every chord should be heard, and the harmony is so important, and etc., etc. And it's his music is celestial music." Um, then there was something inside that said, I, I don't believe this, that it's all only, and it has so much impact, especially on tempo and the way you, you approach this music. So, um, on the other hand, there are other people who now say, yeah, but I don't feel the music by Frank just so fast for me. It's mm -hmm. slower music. It's quiet music. It's perfectly fine with me. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are many ways of doing so, but I think we are now at the, at the time, um, so the 19th century is more than 100 years ago. So it's actually ancient music. And ancient music, we have this approach that we go to the sources and we try to inform ourselves and see what can I do with the, those sources. And thus far, I didn't find any source I mean, contemporary source of Frank's uh, lifetime that proves that he played slowly, for instance, and that he wasn't—he was not a, a virtuoso. On the contrary, when you find reviews of concerts and his piano playing, also organ playing, he was really a virtuoso. And when you when you adopt these few metronome marks uh, we have then indeed it's not so easy to play Franck and you have to practice Franck, which was not really necessary before. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. And also, sorry I'm, I'm talking so much, but uh, going on to, uh, into this idea of virtuoso, mm. you always hear this story, which I heard also and I was studying, that, you know, Franck, he couldn't play the pedals at all. So um, especially not fast pedal um, <clears throat> passage and and by the way he bought a pedal piano so it couldn't not he was not able to to, to play the pedals but mm -hmm. isn't that ridiculous I mean when a piano player 
buys a piano, is it because he doesn't play the piano? No, it's on the contrary. He's a pianist and he wants to play on good instrument. And that's also the reason why Franck bought this pedal piano. It was to improve his technique, of course, but he had technique. Yeah, yeah. And so on and so forth. There are so many misunderstandings to my feeling. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, uh, that, well, this, it's not scientific evidence, but when you put all the sources together of l during the lifetime of Franck, then the, the image is really different. Exactly. I don't say different, but different, yeah. Well, Joris, uh, a lot of it uh, has to do with the metronome, right? The metronome of the day. Uh, mm. How we interpret uh, and today yeah. and how we uh, how they interpret it in, mm. in those days, right? Yeah. So yeah, can exactly. you elaborate uh, what changed in our perspective of the French mm -hmm. metronome? Yeah. So I think um, it's a general uh, aspect of 20th century music and especially after the 1930s, I think, that um, regarding to performance and regarding to tempo, musical um, interpretation became more and more strict as to the beat of a metronome. It's something which, is, which we don't see only in music, but also in architecture. You can see it in architecture, uh, even uh, surfaces, all the windows the same, square um, uh, drawings and so etc so I think the 20th century has imposed this metronome very much upon us and that starts of course the, of course in the conservatory when you learn music and note uh, sight reading etc solfege we say when you um, when we uh, do um, reading of of musical things uh, for instance the metronome was absolutely a dictator mm -hmm. um, and for instance pure musical things like accelerating when you make a crescendo and uh, uh, ritardando when you make a, a kind of diminuendo, those things were really forbidden in the second mm -hmm. half of the 20th century. And that influenced very much of, of performances. What I find now in sources of the 19th century is exactly the opposite. There is not even thus far, I'm sorry, <laughs> thus far I didn't find any source that says that we have to stick to a metronomical tempo. On the contrary, the sources say the metronome is there to help us to find the proper tempo of a piece when we don't find it just like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the sources say at the same time, never use the metronome during the playing or the performance of a piece. Right. Never. Because it makes the music mechanical. And, um, and meaningless, expressionless. So I think this is a very, very important uh, thing to know that the metronome was used as an indication, but not as a mean to even not to practice. Well, from time to time, you say, if you have a technical study, of course, you can use the metronome. It improves stability, etc. But um, for the performance of music, it was absolutely unthinkable to use the metronome. And we have even more evidence about that. Um, uh, there is there are writers who say the metronome you you use it before you play a piece mm -hmm. you just start the metronome ticking the tempo you stop it and then you start playing the piece so um well i by the way i i wrote some articles about it who will, that will be be available i'm sorry uh soon in english um so then you find more 
literature and evidence of all this. But it's it's really a different thing uh, to use the metronome that way. And the, the flexibility, I must say, flexibility of the tempo is something I was not so much into 15 years ago. It's something I... Uh, it was a mistake of my, <laughs> of mine. So I, I really wanted, especially for Frank, to to, to stick to this um, faster tempi throughout the whole piece. I think no, that was a mistake. It should have been more flexible, but that doesn't change the basic uh, pace of a piece. I mean, it doesn't uh, change the fact that the tempo is what Frank wrote down as a tempo. Yeah. So and it's basically way faster than the tradition, so to say. Yeah, um, is that more or less an <laughs> some explanation to your question? You really, it makes sense because uh, when you, for example, take a piece like Finale, right? Uh, <laughs> one of the most virtuosic pieces uh, by Frank ever wrote, uh, but <laughs> ever written. Most of the organists, even even in um, in a wide majority cases, they mm-hmm. play it in a moderate tempo, right? But yeah, Finale, yeah. Uh, really, in French tradition means like almost like a toccata right almost yeah, like totally. like yeah. uh, at least it's allegro yeah. Uh, v- yeah. Uh, sort of yeah. like uh, like sortie right yeah. uh, sort exactly. of yeah. and uh, when you played uh, this finale in in sweden i remember what 16 years ago almost that was uh, like a real real french to- uh, finale, right? Uh, very virtuoso. It it explains how how Frank d- d- was really able, probably, to play that uh, difficult and challenging pedal part, right? Because mm-hmm. at that tempo is really challenging, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. so it was really a revelation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the finale is a very good example mm-hmm. because um, at the same time we can uh, um, learn and see how we should read a metronome mark and a tempo mark. So for the finale, uh, this, as, as far as I remember well, it's 100 for half note. Uh, and it says, um, Allegro, my stoso, if, if I don't make a mistake, just like that, it says Allegro, but uh, Allegro is the tempo. And when, when we look at other tempo indications, not only by Frank, but also by other composers, uh, for Allegro, then 100 is just normal. It's just a normal tempo. And the second word, the maestoso, that's about how we should play it. Mm-hmm. It's not allegro con brio, for instance. It's not allegro giocoso or whatever. It is maestoso. And this maestoso have, has this impact on, on many things. For instance, in the, in the central part, uh, when we have the longer notes with the quarter notes and the half notes, um, if it's not maestoso, there are so many ways to play this and ways which could even be a caricature of it. And that's something which I, I'm really convinced that is basic for Franck, especially for Franck, that there is a tempo indication at the beginning of a piece, a normal Italian term, and there's a second word, an adverb, that says how we should play this. Exactly, like a character, right? Character exactly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's the same thing um, uh, with the opening of the Grand Pièce Symphonique, um, where it it, the, it should be um, not in a very extravert way this faster tempo, but still intimate, where not a caricature. And um, 
I'm, I'm thinking now, for instance, on on the chords of the the left hand. So um, you have da ba 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 da. Yeah, the 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 syncopes. If if you play da ba 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 da ba ba ba, that's not the purpose of the of the mm -hmm, opening, mm -hmm. and that's that's why Frog uh, says this. So um, it brings us. Um, much closer to the meaning of the music, I think. And especially since Frank's music is not at all uh, church music, it's concert music. I think that's also a mistake that, um, that was made throughout the, tw the 20th century. I'm talking now about the 12 pieces, so to say. Of course, he has written also uh, church music. I'm thinking of the pièce posthume mm -hmm. uh, and so on. But his major 12 pieces are concert pieces. Exactly. Uh, so, so when you re research the the original French metronome, I think you found uh, some indications that we m mis misunderstood uh, how we should read it. Right, the, the markings of the metronome today. So, mm -hmm. well, um, yeah. Please, so, go, sorry. Yeah. yeah so, my question was, uh, uh, should we put uh, the the how to say this? Uh, um, yeah, exactly. Below yeah. below the number or above the number? That makes uh, a lot of difference to yeah, the tempo. It is very clear. It should be below the number. Below. So, so like it would be faster. Yeah. It's so like we normally do. Uh -huh. You use. I mean, when you use, I'm I'm still of the generation that used mechanical metronomes uh -huh. when studying. So we used this thing, and there was nobody who questioned this that you should put. The weight either above or under the metronome mark. Um, so, and that I have, I found this. This was proved by sources of the time, or uh, I mean, of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So there is no question of putting the weight in a, in a different way. So you put it under, so that it is faster, so to say. But when you put it under the mark, you can check it with any clock. 120 is 120, and right. 60 is 60. When you don't do that, you don't have 60, but it's slower. Um, and by the way, um, if you use very slow tempi or a very fast tempo, the weight drops off or the weight, um, um, the, the weight just avoids that, that the metronome will work properly. Uh -huh. uh, pro so there is no question about it. There is, um, on the other hand, this idea that sometimes we have a double click tempo or double tick tempo, whatever you call it, one tick or double tick. Mm -hmm. I think there are quite um, some reasons to uh, accept that many composers in certain situations used a double tick interpretation of the metronome. So um, that complicates, of course, the story. From a theoretical point, it complicates the story but not when you are facing the music and reading the music. Then this metronome indication um, is very clear. I mean, um, when we adopt a one tick and it's all, it is unplayable, then it's very clear it's a double tick. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes the double tick um, seems a bit slow for us. But then we have to look at the piece, which, what piece is it? And I have this example of a, um, a sonata by uh, Lemons, Jacques Nicolas Lemons. He's not so much known up in the north, but in France and Belgium, the name is, is still uh, famous. Of course. Uh, 
and um, so his when he writes a piece is in a kind of new church style which is serious where fast tempi are not allowed and so on and so forth then this feeling of the slower tempo uh, is something from our time and he wanted really to have this tempo and a funny thing with those uh, double tick tempi from time to time is that you don't have any problem when you use the double tick of putting together, of synchronizing all the parts of a piece. Uh, if you don't do so, you have to slow down so many times in order to make it audible even. Yeah. So uh, I think it's, it's a very interesting uh, subject and we have really to be very... I don't know, I would have that subtitle, but I mean, you have to be flexible Mm-hmm. in using the metronome um, and to see what is the piece, what is the indication and how can the indication help us that's I think that's the best um, uh, approach to it. Yeah, that's right and it depends on the music itself, right We, we not only we read the indications and metronome markings, but we also try to read the music, what the music says the character, the tonalities, the yeah, mode changes exactly. And uh, as you say, be flexible, be flexible. And, and basically, sorry to interrupt you, but basically we don't need a metronome mark. Mm-hmm. But um, from time to time, it's interesting to have a metronome mark. And it's, it's rarely that the metronome mark is really in conflict, what you could imagine that piece uh, should be, if, if you have the information about the meaning of the piece. That's very important, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Like what about the the slow uh, pieces mm-hmm. like uh, prier for example uh, i've i've heard you play also faster than than usually mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. people play in 20th century for example um, do you think that ma- the new the new understanding of or original understanding of metronome also changes the idea we play slow pieces of rank well, we will play the slow piece a little bit faster than the tradition says mm-hmm. to us, than the tradition was in the 20th century. But we have those metronome marks. And um, when in the prière, Franck says Andantino, um, it is a metronome mark which goes with all Andantinos. Of exactly. That time. Yeah. yeah. And Andantino so is not very slow. Is not it's not very slow, but it is Andantino slow. I don't think it's slow tempo. No. <laughs> it's not Adagio, it's not Largo. Andantino is slightly going. It's even a little bit faster than Andante. Exactly. So that's that's perf- perfectly logical. Yeah. So I think there it's again this um, influence of the 20th century, and I must say Catholic uh, circles um, mm. in organ playing that influenced very much. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this tempo matter. And we have some evidence also very clear in ideas uh, by Vincent Dandy and uh, Charles-Marie Vidor um, who um, support very much this idea of Catholic music or music überhaupt being uh, religious, sacred. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the fast tempi are actually not allowed in this kind of music yeah, yeah. Um, we see also that Charles-Marie Vidor is slowed down many tempi throughout the editions of his symphonies 
just to, to match this idea of, um, like he says, that music is architecture, like the cathedrals where you play it, and it uh, must be calm and quiet. It must sound like eternity. And then, of course, a fast performance of the prière, it's a bit uh, a conflict with those ideas. Yeah. So um, I think everything um, has has a meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people react against fast tempi, there is something behind it. Makes them react. It's and this is, of of course, the great tradition of of uh, Tournemir, right? Of uh, of yeah, pe- exactly. people like uh, Marcel Dupré playing Frank. Also, we we sort of respect those people, and if they say it, it should be this this kind of tempo. We mm-hmm. believe it, right? Or uh, Marsh- uh, Marshall and others, uh, they they sort of um, are uh, like a sem- demigods for us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Um, when you consult the sources and 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 think about the metronome real meanings and look at the what tempo indications are on the pieces in reality then it mm-hmm. becomes a little contradictory right with the tradition exactly so um and unfortunately yeah i um it's something in myself i mean which <laughs> makes me um not to accept a tradition because of the tradition yeah and and just when you look back to to memories also of things i mean it's especially about tempo to to my feeling it's very very difficult to remember a, a tempo uh, when i try to remember when i was uh, 15 or 20 25 years old to remember in what tempo a great master played a certain piece i'm sorry i'm unable yeah 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 Exactly. Yeah. But we to have w- uh, we have those historical recordings, right, from those days. Yeah. The, the first, yeah. the first uh, LPs and uh, and mm. uh, other recordings, which really indicate how slow it was uh, traditionally mm. played. Um, yeah. But uh, but then of course uh, something changes, and people like you come along, and uh, thanks to you. The entire organ world will be informed uh, about uh, maybe how Frank himself played this, this his music. Well, yeah, we will never know how he played it. Mm-hmm. But on on the on the other hand, what you say about the first um, LPs and so that is of course when this Frank tradition was really established. Unfortunately, we don't have, as far as I know, um, recordings of organ music from the early 20th century mm-hmm. and. But when we listen to um, other recordings of, I mean, piano music, piano music by Saint-Saëns, for instance, and I, I'm also thinking uh, about uh, Pierre Ney and a composer like uh, Joseph Schongen, maybe you play the music of organ music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't hear any influence of this very serious and slow way of playing the music. We also... Uh, should not forget that the 19th century was really, it was not a black and white century. It was um, it was a century where many, many colors and where everything was happening and people thought that, still thought that everything was possible, um, where the speed was increasing really um, in, a, in a very exceptional way. In 1830 a train d- drove at 28 kilometers an hour maximum 
by 1860, it was 100 kilometers an hour. Right. So that was really a, a period where this, also this fascination for speed and so, so on, um, lived very much. And I cannot imagine that it was not uh, communicated to music and musicians. Um, there are also a few pieces who refer to the trains and so on, but that's another thing. But um, the 19th century was a very positive century. And we, we think about, oh, it's romantic, poetic, and, and so on. But um, it was much of dynamic. And uh, there was a lot of energy in the 19th century. Of course, we don't have all those uh, documents uh, we don't have, we have a few pictures, but they are, like I said, all black and white. But it was full of colors. We don't have movies, unfortunately, all those things. But um, when you read, uh, for instance, it's f really fun uh, fun and interesting to read the Revue et Gazette Musicale de Paris. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely fabulous what is happening all the time, how a how the, the reviews of the concert are full of dynamics and f I mean uh, people are enthusiastic or not at all but then they write it all in a very uh, strong way so I think the 19th century is not only um, you know um, sacred music and soft music and everything a little bit rose and a little bit blue but uh, it's, it's full of colors and it's ex extravagant music uh, and so on and so forth mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful, Yoris. And um, for example, besides uh, the tempo issue, what else did you did you find in historical sources that you you think we should uh, be aware of in terms of performance practice? Uh, yeah. So yeah, one of of my um, things is also that since all organists of the nineteenth century were pianists, mm -hmm. all of them. Um, they had their piano technique and um, it's very difficult for me to accept that when they come from the piano to the organ that they say oh no I play the organ I will play totally different as to style and interpretation I can't, cannot believe that mm -hmm. so that's, that's one thing and we, when we look at um, sources in piano technique at that time I'm talking especially about how to be flexible in the different voices um, especially of the two hands and, and, and the pedal. So this, this piano technique of shifting the right hand a little bit to the accents in the, in the left hand, um, it works so well at the organ that I cannot imagine that people didn't use it. Mm -hmm. um, so for this, I don't have any, so to say, scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. But we know that keyboard technique in those days, was just like that. Yeah, we have an ex absurdo argument, maybe, which uh, is again Charlemagne Vidor. He says that from now on, we are around 1900s. He says from now on, it's clear that when uh, notes are played by the hands and the feet, it should be all together. Mm -hmm. Why does he write that? Because. Because, because it wasn't, it know, wasn't said, a yeah. tradition right before. I think so, uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. And you have to try it out, especially in a, in a melody. I, I mean, of course, it, it's about uh, expressive uh, passage. Yeah. It's not in scherzo, not in the finale. <laughs> but when you have expression in a melody to shift some notes, 
and it's, it's so important to make it expressive and just listen to famous singers of the beginning of the 20th century there, there you hear it still can he, you still can hear it in old recordings that they are not metronomical correct with um, with accompaniment yeah and this is also revolutionary right because uh, as an organ student for example mm. listening to this probably 95% or 99% of good organ teachers out there probably uh, emphasize the the correct manner of depressing the keys and the the pedals together right always yeah, together yeah, uh, if, yeah. if it's a chord you should you you should press it together with the all voices together right yeah. and that's how I, w I was taught and i would imagine you too uh, me too i was taught like that yeah but even the like you 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 mentioned the chords pressing the chords in, in a different way, not always altogether chuck, mm -hmm. uh, makes them much more expressive. And uh, in this music, when you are, are to going to make choices about interpretation, I will say, play it at a piano, mm -hmm. and then you will find a solution. And once you have your vision at the piano, that means with the correct dynamics, which we don't have all the time at the organ, then you go to the organ mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you have to make your own opinion about the piece especially as to dynamics and also the flexibility of tempo again um, it's so different from what we are thought in I mean <laughs> 25 years and 30 years ago or 50 years ago um, it goes against that to in a really in a dramatic way uh -huh, yes uh, we were taught that you know the organ is very Unfor unforgiving to in, in yeah. playing not not together right because the yeah. pipes would would sound uh, indefinitely and the, mm -hmm. the the attack and release is very important mm -hmm. therefore yeah. you should depress it together but when you imagine playing the the music of frank especially ex 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 expressive music like yeah. like cantabile like like mm -hmm. some exactly. like um, middle movement of a minor chorale right yeah. exactly. especially uh, then it does make sense to to play it a little bit not together, right? Uh, to, to to pay attention to to the melody and how. Uh, imagine like a soloist would be um, singing with the orchestra, Absol probably, right? Absolutely, with the orchestra, uh, a singer, or even um, in an orchestra. So, the nineteenth century is also the era of na of symphonic music. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine um, a hobo player? Uh, in an orchestra, playing his solo, the solo, let's say the middle part of the A minor chorale is yeah. a solo, that when he plays this solo, he pays attention to the moment that strings put the chords on the right time. He doesn't. I hope no. he doesn't. Yeah. The oboe player just plays like he wants. And uh, it's something we should develop as organists, since we have this possibility of being at the same time the soloist with the oboe, the accompaniment with the strings and the double basses, etc. Um, so this is also for me a very important aspect of 19th century that we should think, I'm talking now about France, Belgium, this, this music, it is symphonic music, but in, especially in the second half, but symphonic in the, in the real meaning of playing in together in an orchestra mm -hmm. and playing together doesn't mean 
that you play on the same beat all the time, but you make music together. And um, <clears throat> that's to me, uh, is, is, it's really, really very important. Also to, to understand why so-called simple music or cheap music by other composers uh, like Salome, Dubois, uh, Le Fébrueli, other and others was so much appreciated in, in, in those days. Appreciated, sorry, in those days. It was because it was expressive music yeah. and the organist was just able to make expressive melodies. If you play the, this music just straight like you should do on an organ exam, it's just worthless. Mm -hmm. And I compare this very often to uh, just mu musicians and the real book. If you play the real book just like it is written, it's just nothing. It is. And nothing, I think yeah. we, we have a kind, we need a kind of approach to this um, music which is different from the 20th century approach. I mean, uh, the, the written notes, the editions, that's our source, that's where we start from, and then we make some music mm -hmm. out of this, of course. And some composers like Franck, Vidor, they wrote down almost everything. Yeah. But the other composers probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, you you mentioned jazz, right? Jazz music, and it's really uh, a fascinating example comparison, right? Uh, if mm -hmm. you write down the the the, the classical the compositions of jazz players, improvisations, mm -hmm. if you wrote, write it down, and many people do, and you give it to the student to play, and if he or she plays it exactly as written, it's lifeless, right? It's, it's Exactly. It's, exactly. It's, you have to i think you have to add some swing you have to add yeah. some some feeling some blues right and mm -hmm. you cannot really put it into into notation that that Absolutely. that, that yeah. uh, thing the same is mm -hmm. with with organ music probably also i think so a mathematical notation for this music makes no sense mm -hmm. uh, it's different for other music i think especially for serial music uh, of the 20th century that's a different situation <clears throat> but the the notation of the music of the mid nineteenth uh, century is something uh yeah which is like also like literature or or theater mm -hmm. uh an actor has a text, but when he reads this text according to the rules of accents etc i just then it's just nothing you have to add so many things exactly. uh, like expression dynamics changing tempo faster slower and so on and so forth and that's for me it's really the key to uh, um, enjoying music and the key to music which communicates with the listener mm -hmm. i think um, there has been a time when mathematical performance made sense before the invention of midi uh, before um, <coughs> the invention of computers playing music, etc. Then it, it was quite interesting to have also performances which were really mathematical, perfect, etc. But um, that's uh, nowadays it's, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, um, any computer can do better than what we can do in, in this aspect. Mm -hmm. So we have to, to try to be musicians in the real sense of um, people communicating feelings, musical feelings to other people. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm really convinced it's not possible when you are 
playing in a mathematical way. It's just impossible. Yes, and this is a big me message to our listeners, right? Whoever is listening uh, to our conversation, an organist, for example, and thinking, well, I it's something really then uh, makes a lot of problem problems for playing Frank's music because then, uh, for example, I have to learn not only the notes, right? Not only to put hand and feet together, Yeah, or mm -hmm. not together, as you say sometimes expressively, right? Not together. Yeah, this sure. is also strange for for mm -hmm. some for majority of organs. But you also need to think uh, about about the the line, about the phrases, about the I don't know meaning of the of of the idea of, of this piece, mm -hmm. and uh -huh. um, make it alive, make it make it speak, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but it's something which is actually accepted um, for other music but um, I have the impression although it is very it's changing in a very good way now I think the 20th century now is 50 years ago um, and we are in a new era and we are making progress so if we may call it progress but we are changing a bit um, to, towards more conscious music and to be more um, convinced playing I think that's that's so important that you uh, don't say anything new but I'm uh, uh, not at all but I mean um, the a musician of today and um, should be performing his music and should not try to imitate something either a mathematical performance or another performer like you mentioned with the jazz example of mm -hmm. Um, imitating solos by famous chess players and so on. So uh, th that's for me the, the basic message actually. And um, of course we need to be informed. We have to know what we are doing. We have to um, to know as much as we want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not as much as we can because when we do so we, we never practice and that's not the purpose of the thing. But I mean you, you must inform yourself a little bit then you can make some choices and then your performance will be original and authentic at the same time mm -hmm, i think mm -hmm. and uh, what to to what to which extent uh, uh, rules of the harmony or uh, keyboard harmony plays here also should organists be aware of 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 the rules of harmony and voice leading in performance practice i think, I think so yeah i think so i think so um when you're an organist I mean, we have this possibility possibility of two hands playing different sounds. We have the pedals and, uh, and separate voice. I think we really need to be aware of the construction of a piece. We need this basic uh, education to understand what is happening. I'm absolutely convinced about that. Yeah, mm -hmm. because I otherwise. Go ahead. No, sorry, I don't say that other musicians don't need that, but I mean especially organists. Especially organists. But also, because it's also a different, um, different situation as a, a professional musician uh, playing in an orchestra or being an organist. I mean, it's basically a totally different situation. Exactly. We organists have to make our decisions all the time. Playing in an orchestra, you have to make your decisions, but in a way that you um, synchronize with the other musicians. And that's a totally different situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
and so when you are alone to make decisions you need to be informed as much as you can I think so if you are a soloist like an organist right solo player you're probably still you're leading right nobody is directing you you are directing something in your mind at least and when you are a player in the in the orchestra you're not a leader your follower, right? Your follower of the conductor. Yeah, follow. I, I don't like so much uh, to say follow. Uh-huh. Uh, it's rather um, it's it's teamwork. Yes, it's teamwork. Yeah. And as an organist, you we are not used to do teamwork. That's the, <laughs> the basic <laughs> the right. basic difference, I think. And um, that's um, that's why uh, playing the organ is not always fun because you're always alone. And this this feeling of the teamwork is needs also much 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 um, education and technique and everything musicality, but you use it in a different way. Um, and I really didn't say that the one uh, one thing is better than the other, not at all. But I mean that the, the professional situation in performing and practicing a piece is totally different. That's what I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the music can be the same, but we have, a, as an organist, we have different purpose, different goal to reach than, um, than when you play in an ensemble or an orchestra, where you have this teamwork going towards a result, and that needs v- also much flexibility of the player, mm-hmm. probably even more. Right. Mm, yeah, and that needs also technique and training and so. Um, but I think there is a basic uh, difference between the two situations. True. So, Yoris, I'm conscious of your time. And um, f- for our uh, c- uh, ending part of our conversation, could you, could you direct us uh, to a place where they can find you and your work online? Well, I don't have a, a very well uh, um, structured uh, website, but anyway, I have one, and there are a few links, I think, to other websites. So if you just uh, www and then my name Joris Verda in one uh, word dot com, then uh, you will find something about uh, publications and, and mm-hmm. things. Yeah. That's great. I'll make sure I, I'll include this link into the description of this conversation, of course. And uh, Joris, um, um, what are you working on right now, for example? What is your cor- current project? Well, actually, it's totally different. Um, uh, I'm working now on, um, on a program which combines organ and synthesizers. Wonderful. And, uh, um, actually, I've, I've been doing this since more than 10 years, since uh, the software was available for con- on consumer levels. Right. I will uh, play uh, a concert with this um, combination uh, early March in Acousticum, in PTO. In Sweden. In Sweden, yes. And then um, afterwards, I will do a similar thing also in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, in at Orgel Park. Um, so that's uh, a main uh, occupation of um, of mine now those days. Wonderful. 
Yeah. Wonderful. I I'm so happy that you you have this thorough historical knowledge and research also. But you also very uh, clever composer, and uh, you are uh, expanding the the our understanding of what the contemporary organ music might be, right? So you're contributing to this field as well. Well, I don't know, but I just like to do what <laughs> what uh, makes pleasure to me, what <laughs> makes me happy. So, um, so experimenting with uh, combination of sounds and new, well, not new kinds of music because I, I um, only use it when I compose something, things that already exist. Uh, I mean, I don't want to be original or I do not have the pretension of being a composer changing uh, organ music, not at all. But I, I think um, playing organ music um, and making organ music, composing organ music, it should give us pleasure and it should, should give pleasure to the listener. And from time to time you take a risk, you try something which maybe it's not a good uh, choice or which is not so nice to hear so so good music i don't know but it, it's part of being being a musician you take some risks and sometimes it works and other times it doesn't work at all but that's life uh, but listen joris isn't that what cesar frank did also took risks also uh, uh, created music that sounded beautiful for himself and for the listeners also <laughs> no. Please don't compare me to Cesar Franchi. I don't have that to do. I'm not not even one percent of, of of his talent and uh, knowledge. I mean, uh, of every I think every musician at his own level should do this. Exactly. And, yeah, and that that makes it interesting and makes it just uh, it's just thrilling to to continue this way and, and uh, never think so. That's it. I know what. Yeah. How to do. I know what I should play. I don't know. I think there's there's never an end to that. Yeah, continue to improve, continue to expand your knowledge, right? And to continue to share it. Share it with the world. Yes. Exactly. Indeed. Thank you so much, Joris. This was a oh, revelation to me and I hope to our listeners too. An inspiration to, to expand our knowledge and to broaden our horizons. Thank you, Vidas. Please continue your work as you're doing this uh, for many, many years. Uh, have a great health and creativity. Splendid and uh, brave creativity. <laughs> okay, Vidas. Thank you. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavichus. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.